there's still a spot for strict beer styles. Quality control issues and non-alcoholic beer. And a look at the 10 best breweries by USA Today. This is It's All Beer. Welcome to It's All Beer, the official podcast of the World Cup, because like the World Cup in uh, Qatar, uh, Budweiser has to stand outside crying softly to themselves. I'm Jeremy Jones. <laughs> I'm Tyler Zimmerman. And I mean, Budweiser is making a fuckload off this. And also, did you see all the BrewDog drama about their World Cup sponsorship? I've I've, I've, I've dipped in on the periphery, but uh, I don't know. Bring me to speed, because I, I, yeah, I did a little bit in as much as... Um, I mean, among the things that James Watt is getting uh, 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 flack for, um, this is among them. Arguably not the biggest thing, but it is among them. Yeah, so I just saw they're sponsoring that, uh, but then trying to use their sponsorship uh, as an anti-sponsorship, calling out their human rights violations. But yet, to sell beer in that country, you have to sell it to the one distributor in the country that is run by the government. So you're kind of funding the human rights. That'll teach them. (laughs) Yeah. Like we're, we're we're so against your human rights uh, violations that we're going to, we're going to let you make money off our beer. And I hope that every, uh, every cent that you make makes you feel really sorry. And you had to pay money to sponsor it. So (laughs) I yeah I did I did catch a bit of that and it I don't know as as far as the James Watt saga goes that's uh, more just that's more par for the course it's 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 not the, his worst rooftop uh, uh, extravaganza so to speak yeah he was really upset when he found out there wasn't a rooftop spot to watch the game. <laughs> That's what really made. That's what he's really protesting against. Is like, listen, I really wanted to make out on a roof in Qatar, and I, I can't do it because they're all open stadiums. Fuck you, <laughs> uh, Tyler. What are you drinking today? I'm drinking some Stokes Light from Boss Rambler. How is that one? I've I, uh, uh, that is one of the uh, uh, new breweries in town that uh, uh, that uh, I, I've I've messed around with uh but i have not tried their lager uh i mean it is pretty solid it's a little like breadier than i was expecting also the reason i bought this beer was it is designed like a fucking marlboro light cigarette pack oh hold on let me pop up the right window and check it up hold it up again holy shit it really is like all right, that's that's an interesting move, Boss Rambler. <laughs> that. And so at first I was like, oh, this must be a smoked beer. That'll be awesome. Actually, hold it up again. We'll do a little bit of social media. This is how I do social media, live on the podcast right there. Uh, there we go. <laughs> uh, so when you see this picture pop up, you'll know that, oh, yeah, Jeremy actually took time out of the podcast to take a picture. He couldn't. Uh, uh, do that on his own time and the answer is <laughs> I'm a very busy person uh, this porn's not going to masturbate to itself <laughs> but solid beer little disappointed feel like the marketing team left something on the table by not doing a smoked beer in in this container 
but that's just my personal opinion. Jeremy, what are you drinking? Uh, Lead Dog's Churro Please. It is a stout with cinnamon and, quote, natural flavors with an asteroid that looks like a sperm on, right, on, right on the label. Uh, speaking of, you know, since we seem to have a theme of questionable, questionable beer labels, there's a, listen, I, I, I know astrophysics, uh, comet tails don't squiggle around like that. That's, that's a sperm. That's a, that's a fiery, <laughs> that's a, that's a sperm with herpes. That's what that is. Lead dog. Um, the beer itself is not sperm like at all. I'm, I'm happy to announce, uh, it is a, uh, uh, <laughs> Not that I would know, but hey, we've all been there, haven't we? Uh, it's <laughs> rose. It's it's a cinnamon stout. It's it's nice, roasty, caramelly, mo- uh, moderate high body, and, and a touch of cinnamon. So it's pretty good. Nice. A little bit of like dark fruit on the back. Um, it's only it's seven percent. So I appreciate it not being uh, uh, quite the. Uh, Every other like flavored stout is oh upwards of ten percent. So, I uh, when I the, the the name churro please seemed to uh, uh uh to suggest the more dessert stout style, but um, I was c- kind of pleased to find uh, a nice roasty bite and uh, uh, very drinkable. So anyway, uh, Tyler, what do you got for us today? Well, when I saw this article from Vine Pear of do strictly defined beer styles have a have value in the modern craft landscape? I thought we have to talk about this because this is kind of the premise of what this podcast is named because, after and what it was creative for. Because if uh, because if there's one thing that uh, uh, that both our pedantic brains uh, 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 gravitate to, it's beer styles and how they are flaunted, flagged, abused. And made called daddy. Yeah. <laughs> so if you're going, what the hell? Actually, listen to old episodes of the podcast, and you'll find out our whole rant on how this podcast became called "It's All Beer" and uh, the meltdown uh, my brain had one night. <laughs> Long story short, uh, brewery enters uh, uh, their. Uh, Vienna as uh, cream ale. We look up cream ale and blonde ale and Vienna lager. Find a lot of overlap. Tyler gets pissed, re- shouts, "It's all beer! Fuck it! It's all beer!" And a podcast was born. There's the yeah. there's the. I think that's a pretty good like five second summary. Yeah, there is a bell curve of beer knowledge where you start out on one end saying it's all beer, isn't it? Then you start getting into styles and get super knowledgeable and then finally you crest that and go down to the other side and you're like fuck it it's all beer so that's basically i I think feel like you just summarized the article right there too (laughs) so we can almost so so this has been it's all beer uh the shortest podcast we've ever done and i think i a good finale to that so uh, (laughs) Uh, we've our work is now complete oh well for those of you that want to hear a little bit more, um, let's hop into this article and debate a little. Do strictly defined beer styles still have a place? Uh, and so the article talks, it goes, are beer styles actually important? In certain functions, sure. But in the grand scheme of things, probably not. Um First, they want to take a look at how beer styles were formed, uh, their utility in the modern drinking culture, and 
why in some cases the distinctions leave much to be desired. Um, which, some of this history, I knew. Others, I was like, oh, that's kind of cool little factoid nugget. Uh, we've always had beer styles, of course. Uh, the Sumerian culture in the Middle East um, had different beer styles that was a thousand years ago. Uh, and once it got into the Middle Ages and the Renaissance, beer were lumped in by color, white beers, red beers, or were flavored with spice. Um, that varied by season, and so they kind of just started naturally clumping them into similar categories. Well, and um, you want to know what you're, what you're, I mean, whether you're in ancient Samaria or at uh, a, a, a tap room, you kind of want to have some idea. I, there are certain flavor profiles, and there is much in beer, and you kind of want to have an idea of what the fuck you're going to get. And the article actually does talk about that, uh, where how it's great when you're starting to get into craft beer. Styles are really nice to have and to kind of know a little bit about. Or when you're standing at that bottle shop with a wall of beer or the tap room that has 150 beers on tap and you're like, what the fuck do I order? What will I like? And... If you can kind of go, okay, I know I like this style and this style. It gives you a jumping off point and kind of cuts down the menu. Correct. Yeah. yeah. So, but talks about modern beer. Um, it's really the styles kind of credited to Michael Jackson and uh, Charlie Papazian for really kind of breaking down uh the beer styles during the rise of microbreweries and home brewing. And I mean, that um, makes sense, especially, uh, uh, Michael Jackson, um, was yep. one of the, one of the, uh, uh, one of the early, uh, writers when it comes to, uh, uh, beer craft beer or uh, beer of any sort. And he was, yeah, largely responsible for making the distinction between different, different regional styles, different historical styles, different flavor profiles, so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, without styles, we wouldn't have Great American Beer Festival, World Beer Cup, any of these big beer competitions that the brewers love to bat brag when they win a medal at. Because how do you judge two beers if there's not, like, a set style guideline to say, hey, you know, here is what you expect. Here's a good representation of this style. Here's well, kind of the parameters it needs to fall within. In competition, I mean, uh, yeah, uh, having a style guideline basically adds an element of of uh, objectivity to what, what would other otherwise be a completely subjective exercise. I mean, you put two beers in front of anybody and say, which one's better? Well... Okay, I mean, you know, uh, uh, if that person happens to like dark beers and hate IPAs, and every IPA he drinks is garbage, when, of course, every IPA is not garbage, only most mm -hmm. of them are. Um, it gives you, uh, it, it, it tries to lend some, uh, 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 some like, bench line, like, okay, here's the, here's the target you're trying to hit, how close to it did you get? Yeah. 
And I mean, without this, these guidelines, these style guidelines are used also as the basis for the Cicerone and BJCP guidelines and um, test. So you you can't become Cicerone certified or BJCP certified without being a master of the styles. Um, but I mean, but let's be clear that uh, when it, I mean, uh, knowing the the style guidelines in competition and its application in the real world, it is about as useful as, for example, a journalism degree, which is I found out uh, uh, this week the most regretted degree of any degree uh, uh, out there. So, nice job, Jeremy. I you know what I'm I'm proud of my regretful degree. <laughs> <laughs> but my point, my point stands. I mean, there's a, uh, the, you know, uh, the style guidelines have an academic uh, feel to them, and their application in in marketing is dubious at best. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but the nice part is uh, when you do know about multiple styles and that, you can actually go, okay, I like... And they talk about this in the article. She, uh, the author, uh, was a fan of wit beer, uh, and through styles was able to discover Hefeweizens, Belgian triples, and Belgian blondes, and so was able to branch out to more styles she grew to like by knowing what the styles were, what similar styles were, and being able to expand her taste from there. Um. They also help set expectations. I mean, how many times have you ordered a beer and you take a drink and you're like, what the hell was that? Like, I ordered this. <laughs> that more is not a, how this is supposed to taste. More than a few, few times I've ordered a, a, a you know, a, it happens a lot with uh, ambers and porters, especially amber. Amber, first of all, am, uh, American amber ale is so loosely defined. And I've, I can't tell you how many times I've take I've, I've ordered one, taken a drink, and I'm like, so that was actually an IPA. <laughs> yep. Um, they talk in the article, they're like, you know, if you're at a bar and you see stout on the label, you know that it's probably going to be a dark beer with roasted malt character, uh, not going to be as hot forward, so you're able to get this and this. Uh they said, of course, and then if there's blonde in front of it, that that throws that logic out the window, but it's not the, a perfect system. The, <laughs> but the, I, I would argue that, and I had, and I did have to argue this, in fact, today, actually, as somebody grabbed, without really looking, a, uh, a, uh, a blonde stout and poured it and immediately threw a minor hissy fit, um... But if you know this particular cuff story, you'd know that minor hissy fits are not out of character. Uh, (laughs) This was, ooh, I think I can get a free beer out of them for this. Um, But, I mean, mean, a a golden stout should still have the flavor profile and body, actually, of a stout. It's just a mindfuck. And what's it matter if it's golden in color or pitch black? Do I mean, you like the taste? And you know, and in, in, in some cases, well, I mean, appearance does matter. You know, and in and in, uh, uh, in, in this particular case, he was like, "Nope, don't like this one." I'm like, "All right, well, read harder. Think, <laughs> read read the labels." 
did you read the label? <laughs> he did not. Um, he he only read the stout and pumpkin spice and. Well, like... that's his problem. Uh, <laughs> so they do talk about how IPA. Uh, really just means the hops are going to be the star of the show now, adding flavor and aroma. After that, all bets are off. Whether it's color, alcohol strength, uh, the flavor of the hop, the aroma of the hop, the bitterness, it's... But I would argue that I, you know, in, in IPA, there is a there are multiple gradations that uh, that actually, you know, the academic style guidelines have hitherto not caught up with. I mean, they they've just now made uh, hazy IPA a official style and not just one of their the uh, uh, on the BJCP style guidelines. It has American IPA, Imperial IPA, Specialty IPA, which basically lists all the ones that they in so in, in in as many words say listen these are a bunch of bullshit categories that are going to go away in a few years we're going to list them now because they're going to be in competition but don't get too attached okay okay um <laughs> Um, hazy IPA was actually, uh, outside of those. It was in the same like general real category as IPA, Imperial IPA and hazy IPA. But, um, but I mean, there's still like, I mean, yeah, you know, when you're talking about different, uh, IPAs, I often get people like, well, what kind of IPA is that? I mean, it's like, like a traditional West coast, more of a juicy West coast, or is it like a full, like very hazy new England, or is it more like a, or is it more like the juicy New England hop uh, character, but with the nice, clear West Coast look? And everything. We like to call that the Nebraska IPA. Oh. <laughs> Hold your tongue, sir. That's not. That's nothing to do with Nebraska. A Nebraska IPA, I believe, is. Uh, so we found this new... made with a lot of corn. We we found this new hop called uh, Cascade. Um, so we made a beer out of it. Uh, 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 uh. <laughs> Nebraska beer company. Actually, Nebraska beer company's uh, IPAs are quite good, so I should be nice. <laughs> I was going to say, dude, you're shitting on them, but yeah, you brought beer back from there. <laughs> it was good, wasn't it? <laughs> it was. Uh, their IPA was delicious. When I, when I lived in Nebraska, however, <laughs> IPA was still uh, a... a, a it was a, a slowly up and coming thing. It was um, IPA in Nebraska when I lived there was still basically the uh, uh, old uh, uh, West Coast uh, idea of IPA, which is, I don't know, how many IBUs do you want? 50, 90, 110. Just tell me how many IBUs you want. Here, let me just throw my IBU dick on the table. There it is. That's how many IBUs it is. Drink it, peasant. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I guess you're picturing the, the real... IBU dick just <laughs> flopped on the table. <laughs> it's like that completely derailed you. <laughs> just lupulin powder, just like poof. <laughs> oh, that's the stuff. <laughs> uh. <laughs> uh, 
I guess the question that this kind of sparked up for me is do they strictly define beer styles still have value? And Jeremy, I'm going to let you take a crack at it. <laughs> uh, yes. Yes, they do. Okay, you want to... <laughs> no, I don't want to elaborate on that. Um, I mean, as we kind of indicated... At, at the at the end of the day, you still need some idea of what you're going to get. Because I mean, even when I was shopping for this podcast, I I did I do not want an IPA. I'm I'm kind of over over the hoppy profiles if I can manage it. Um, it's it's cold outside. It's dark beer season. Um, uh, so when I go looking, I want a dark beer, porter, stout. Uh, or something with that nice roasty, uh, heavy characteristic, and the only way you can, only way you can even begin to, um, to figure out what you're looking for, aside from knowing every, every liquid inside every can intimately, is by style guidelines, and where where the uh, or style ideas. Now, at some point in time, you know, there's style guidelines which again, are more academic and they're useful for competitions as setting a baseline for what this plutonic idea of a beer should be versus what is essentially marketing. Um, and that and therein lies the difference. Um, uh, a strict style guideline is, is obviously useful or else, as you said, competitions would be damn near impossible because you need to have you need to have a target to hit before you can judge who got closest but in mm -hmm. the market um i mean it is marketing and but you need the language and the language is derived from the style guidelines and so i mean in real world in any real world application academics are going to fall completely on their ass and that's where uh it, where it, it's left a uh, pedantic asshole like me is is left going well actually that's not quite a hell is it for me it's more of a pilsner because uh, the uh because the hot profile is very pronounced and it's much and it's a drier minerally finish uh so i think uh, i think a, a hell is lager uh, i don't think they hit that but it's a quite nice pilsner That is uh, not an he, exaggeration. That is me. That is the human on the other side of this. <laughs> oh, I know. I know. It's just like, oh, man, I just want to fucking hit him in the face with a beer can. <laughs> I don't uh, know. What... <laughs> but I was thinking this similar lines. I think they still have value, but that value is quickly dwindling where... I think here in a couple more years, unless something changes, I could see it being where they have style guidelines for competitions, and then it's basically a couple loose styles is all you see in the market. You slap a stout on what could be a fucking brown ale, and I'll... I mean, I'd argue we're almost there now. I mean, I, even even now, there's a running joke between uh, you know with the idea that there are only two beer styles: IPA and everything else. Mm -hmm. 
And so I would, I mean, I would argue to a certain sense that, I mean, what you're kind of describing is already sort of the way things are. I mean, you know, when you, when you get into it, there, you'll always have like someone made, oh, we made a Dortmunder export and, and, you know, and then that's... I'm just waiting. I am waiting for the day I see a fucking black IPA or Cascadian dark ale, whatever your pompous ass wants to call it. Uh Win an American Stout medal. Uh, I mean, if you're making, if you're, if you're truly making a, uh, uh, a, 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 I mean, I guess you could probably you that. I mean, you could market an American. You'd have to actually make an American Stout, but market it as a black IPA. But I think it's doable. Except for no, yeah. you're. I mean, to get that really good hoppy balance. Um, because an American stout, even at its, at, at its most hopperific doesn't have like the really intense hop flavor and aroma of a really good Cascadian dark ale or black IPA, or again, whatever your own pompous answer that wants to call it. Um, uh, I still like black IPA despite the people like, well, actually, since it's India pale ales slap, You'd understand the idea, right? It's an IPA, but it's black. That's okay? black. <laughs> Otherwise, you have to go with Cascadian Dark Ale, which is what the what the hipsters in Portland called it. Fuck them. I'm saying black IPA. Um, Cascadian Dark Ale just sounds cunty. Yes. Oh. So let's just let, 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 we'll go ahead and make this decision right now. Um, uh, uh, Cascadian Dark Ale is 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 a is a shitty name. We're calling it Black IPA. And if and anybody who says, well, then you're calling it a Black India Pale Ale, then you are then uh, I believe that anybody uh, within about a ten feet is uh, uh, not only uh, should be allowed, but is almost legally encouraged to uh, <laughs> to kick you right in the Jimmy John. Uh, <laughs> and you definitely, so, and you go. Well, what if it's a girl saying that? I'm like, no woman would ever say that because they would understand the communication. That's a dude doing that. Kick him in the Jimmy John. And if it is a girl, kick her in the clam. <laughs> it's. I mean, listen. I've yet to meet a woman that pedantic about beer styles, and I know women who are beer judges, and even they would go, "Yeah, a uh, uh, Cascadian Dark, uh, yeah, Black IPA. I get it. I understand what you're communicating to me." <laughs> yes. Uh, so I guess what we're saying is beer styles are still kind of needed, but not really. And so if well, you were... feel like you, you are more confused now than you were at the start of this conversation, welcome to the club and they... welcome to craft beer. Well, let's, I mean, but I mean, it's not like there was some magically, uh, 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 there's not like so, there's some magical, like, uh, halcyon days where uh, where all the beer all the beer was like carefully regulated and within these style parameters um, and everything was good. I mean, okay, there was a time it's called Germany, and I was gonna say the very... closest is the German styles, and, and they are fucking picky okay, on that shit. But but that's the, but that is reminiscent of the culture. Okay, they are very Prussian, <laughs> and they are very organized and, <laughs> and very deliberate. The thing is, but and you then, go, but you go next door to Belgium. Most, I was gonna say, then you got the Belgians who are like, let thing, it wildly inoculate. 
We'll see if we can recreate it later. The thing about the thing is that a lot of Belgian beers don't fall into any Belgian styles. You got the monastic styles, but a lot of times even the like even the uh, uh, the the styles that are created in monasteries don't neatly fall into the the category set out for them. Belgians just do kind of whatever the fuck they want, and you're gonna drink it because it's delicious. They're like, mm, like the taste. And you're like, what is it? And they're like, it's a beer. Good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's like, oh, I, I made this beer in my barn. Well, what, what kind of style is it? It's like, I don't know. It's, it's, it's tasty. <laughs> Delicious beer. Would you like some? And you're like, yes. So, I mean, yeah. Uh, uh, like that <sighs> Belgian beer is notoriously, you know, you look at a, a, one of my favorite styles ever is beer to guard. And, um, and I love no it. No one knows what it is. I love it because it's like, you look at the beer style and you look at the style guidelines and it's like, well, it's usually, uh, amber dark, except for when it's not. Um, it's usually like moderately hopped except when it isn't. Um, it's usually made with lager yeast, but not always. <laughs> and, you know, and it sometimes has like some wild fermentation characteristics, but not all the time. And you sit there and go, what the fuck is this beer? And it's like, it's beer to guard. Uh, it's kind of <laughs> like the American Strong Ale category. Uh, 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 somebody, uh, actually, uh, who was it? There, uh, um, there was a woman who, uh, uh, who when she talked about beer to guard, she says, uh, beer to guard is what you get when, uh, uh, when a brewery fucks up uh, any beer and trying to figure out how to sell it. <laughs> All right. <laughs> <laughs> or something along those lines. But, I mean, I, I, a roundabout way of saying that, I, I mean, again, you need to have some idea of what you're getting because otherwise, what, you know, it's, you know, a ta like you said, a tap list with even 12 beers is completely unnavigable. But, yeah. So I, I honestly think it's going to, here in a couple of years, it's really going to be broken down into four distinct categories. You'll have your hoppy, your light, your roasty and dark, and then one other. And functionally, when you look at like the menu of a, uh, there's a beer bar here in town called Bitter Creek. That's functionally their menu. They've got hoppy, yep. they've got roasty, they've got light, they've got funky. And maybe mm -hmm. one other that I'm missing, but I mean that is functionally their style guideline. I mean, they're, they've already differentiated like that. You want dark and roasty? Here it is. You want light and crisp? Here it is. You want hoppy? Here it is. Mm-hmm. And then, and honestly, I think that's how it's going to be. And then call it whatever style you want, and submit to whatever style you want for competitions. And style guidelines will really only be used for competitions. And, you know, and again, uh, us, you know, true uh, pedantics who are like, well, actually, that's, uh, you know, a, a, a true uh, Czech amber lager or should be more like a English pale than like an international amber lager. Because an international amber lager, and that's what, what point in time someone throws a beer can at me. Mm -hmm. And then I'll go, well, Jeremy, I'll believe you when you can brew a true imperial pale ale. That's the IPA I want. <laughs> Oh, don't get me started about that competition. <laughs> uh, well, Jeremy, what do we got next? 
<laughs> I think that's it. I think we pretty much covered everything we need to do for the uh, rest of the podcast. In my <laughs> Uh, quality control and non-alcoholic news. Now uh, we've talked. A if lot. any of you are still listening, <laughs> <laughs> we've talked a lot uh, this year about the rise of non-alcoholic beer. Uh, it was a long time coming, especially as craft beer fans aged, and the hangovers got worse. But uh, uh, also a way for those who don't drink uh, to enjoy a form of social drinking. Um, but this has come with inherent problems that sort of come with the territory when you're making a new type of product. But it's made all the worse because making a non-alcoholic beer taste like a normal beer is a special form of alchemy and no one's eager to share their secrets. So this comes from Good Beer Hunting by Kate Bernat. Um, the inherent problem is the same basic issue that, strangely enough, uh, the fruit, beer, uh, fruit puree beers have, and that is shelf stability. Uh, it turns out uh, that booze... Huh. Is a really good natural preservative. I mean, all you have to do is look at me and Tyler. I mean, all just the, our 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 supple skin, our youthful appearance. We'll live. We'll live to be a hundred with Absol- a fake liver. <laughs> if we could ever figure out. I mean, that, exactly. I mean, we 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 are going to. Uh, we're never going to grow old, and we're never going to die because we drink beer. Cheers. Anywho, um, <laughs> don't worry. We've been fact-checked, so just trust us. That is a 100% factual medical claim. Um, but uh, but booze is a really good natural uh, preservative, and supply chains for beer have been largely built on this idea. And though uh, you know all beer producers recommend that their product remain refrigerated at all times, that's not in reality how it's kept. Many distributors work out of a warehouse that are kept at ambient temperature. Retailers, especially larger ones, don't store beer in refrigerated mm-hmm. areas. Let me tell you, your grocery stores are not refrigerated. Let me assure you. Nope. And consumers don't always treat beer, non-alcoholic or otherwise, as a perishable product. But once you eliminate the alcohol, perishability becomes a problem. And strangely enough, re-fermentation becomes a problem. And oh, shit. It was, I, you know what? I had that exact same realization when I was reading this. Like, oh, I didn't realize that, but it actually makes sense. The pro- the process to make non-alcoholic beer starts pretty much the same way as it does to make alcoholic beer. You take grain, you take hops, and you yeast, and you ferment it. And the production of alcohol uh, actually, in a sense, switches the yeast off. Um, that's a mm-hmm. quality of yeast known as attenuation. Uh, it basically means that yeast will consume a percentage of the sugar into alcohol and then go into hibernation until conditions improve. Uh but when you go and remove the alcohol, as you will do with a non-alcoholic beer, uh, you're basically left with unfermented sugar, and that process could quite possibly begin again. And of course, fermentation also prevents a lot of other microorganisms from growing, so removing the booze uh, creates sometimes more problems than it solves. Holy shit. <laughs> uh, Bernard listed uh, bootstrap uh, brewing. Uh, from Durango, Colorado, who had to discontinue their two NA beers after less than two years in the market, uh, only saying to Good Beer Hunting that, quote, the process we use, which made them taste like real beer, was just too labor intensive and cost prohibitive. And that was all they were willing to say about uh, uh, about why they pulled their beers, although several reviews on, on uh, uh, forums like Untapped and Beer Advocate pointed to some possibility of uh, contamination issues. Uh, Bootstrap comes in at just 
uh, under uh, 10,000, which uh, 10,000 barrels per year, which puts them uh, in the category of a small brewery. But even larger regional breweries and full national brands are having this problem. Uh, speaking from experience, um, one of the biggest hits in the NA category at my shop was the non-alcoholic Black Butte by Deschutes. Yep. And it suddenly disappeared. And it turned... Which I did notice that, and I just never thought of it. It turns out they pulled a bunch of cans related to, quote, a latent carbon, di- latent carbon dioxide levels in the N.A. Black Butte. I don't know what that means, but I'm guessing gushers. Back in, <laughs> back in 2020, Diego had to call Guinness 0.0 in the U.K. related to, quote, microbiological contamination, which they had to make, which made some cans unsafe to drink. So it's a problem from the top down. Guinness is having the problem and bootstrap in Durango, Colorado. Um, So the question, of course, is what can be done? And that's where things get tricky. Unlike about every other part of the craft beer world, everyone is really tight-lipped about what they are doing in non-alcoholic. Which is strange, but at the same time makes a weird sort of sense. A good example is what we talked about last week with a cold IPA, like uh, the brewer from Wayfair wasn't exactly silent about how he made a cold IPA. In fact, just the opposite. He was, uh, when he was talking about his process, I think what bothered him more was people like riffing on a cold IPA without consulting him. Um, Yeah. But also, did you call Diageo Diego? I did because I, because I wrote it down that way on my, on my notes and I didn't correct myself. Okay. Thank I was you. like, wait, is he talking about a different company? I was like, maybe it's a different company. So I had to Google nope. it. No, nope. like, Diageo. Nope, that's Diageo. No, Diageo. Yeah. I just, I, I, I think, I think my thing auto-corrected. Um, and that's what, and that's uh, uh, where I go wrong uh, uh, having to take notes about everything I, uh, I read because <laughs> I can fuck up myself. Um, but um, my point is, is that, I mean, there's a spirit of like, uh, there's a spirit of like sharing information, sharing knowledge in traditional brewing, because the competition really, I mean, there is competition between craft beer, but there isn't. A craft beer fan doesn't tend to be, uh, uh, beholden to a to a single brand. Not so in NA. It, it's largely more traditional, which is to say that a brewery that cracks the code and makes a beverage that tastes just like an actual beer, but with no alcohol, as Athletic proved by suddenly rising to be the 27th largest brewery in the country. And then so, getting an investment from Dr. Pepper. Exactly. Uh, you you kind of sort of have that market cornered. Um. So all through the story, the brewers get really vague about what processes they use to make a non-alcoholic beer and what quality control uh, they use or exactly what went wrong when it fails. Not to say it's a complete mystery. There is a tried and true method of making products like this shelf stable, and that is, uh, of course, pasteurization and specifically tunnel pasteurization, which uh, is a process that not only makes the liquid itself shelf stable but also the packaging um it's it's the method athletic uses uh and they tout that method as the only reliable and some may say even the only ethical way of doing it considering that re-fermentation creates alcohol and if someone's buying a non-alcoholic beer that has alcohol you're 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 not doing them 
you're not doing them well. Um, Keith Vela, founder of Sierra, uh, Syria Brewing, that also focused on non-alcoholic, was quoted in Pro Brewer as saying, quote, It's absolutely necessary to pasteurize a beer to protect your customers. You've got to do it. No questions about it. And if you don't do it, I would just say, shame on you. Um, the problem is that tunnel pasteurization... Really fucking expensive. Is it expensive? Yeah. The canning <laughs> line for that system runs upward of a million dollars. Uh, so it's not something that a startup is going to have money laying around to afford. Um, and then, of course, there's the issue with pasteurization itself. Critics say that there's um, that the that the way it works, which is, of course, rapidly heating and then cooling the product, um, causes it causes the beer to degrade very fast. Um, an example, Crux Fermentation Project does not use it for their no-mo IPA. Uh, they won't say what they actually do. And in fact, they've reportedly received questions from not only fellow brewers, but professors in microbiology and food safety trying to figure out what they do in order to get the uh, results that they see. But they refuse to answer them. And... On some level, you can sort of not blame them if they have a process that is effective as as tunnel pasteurization with none of the downsides, perceived or otherwise. I and keep a cheaper cost. Yeah. By the way, if it's a, I would keep my trap shut too. But it's created a problem, especially with groups like the Brewers Association, who want to ensure that their members are following best practices, create safe products for the public. Um, as you have loudly uh, uh, proclaimed several times uh, about uh, puree beer, the industry doesn't regulate itself. Um, uh, and if it doesn't <laughs> learn to, um, the government's going to step in and nobody wants that. Mm -hmm. Or as you so adequately put it, uh, uh, you want uh, government regulations? Because this is how you get government regulations. Yeah, you want the FDA fucking around in your brewery? Didn't think so. Pasteurize that shit, bitch. <laughs> um, the BA is stepping into field questions from its members about what can, uh, constitutes best practices uh, in the area of, of non-alcoholic, but they are, uh, by their own admission, a little bit in the dark. Uh, they've made some recommendations as to, as to what those best practices should look like, including contacting, quote, processing authorities that could advise or run tests on products. But the but non-alcoholic has become so prevalent and so uh, and moving so fast that they really have no way of catching up. A new group, in fact, called the uh, ANBA, which stands for the uh, non Adult Non-Alcohol Beverage Association, is stepping in to help fill the void. Uh, they are a trade group, as the name suggests, uh, that specializes in non-alcoholic uh, beverages. And they've made food safety practices their top priority. They want to have a code of conduct that producers of NA products must adhere to uh, in order to keep their membership. And so the uh, ANBA would kind of basically function as like the same way the BA uh, uh, does in craft beer, where they would have a seal or some sort of indication that says, listen, we've looked over their shoulder. They are doing the best that, you know, they're, they are following our guidelines. And so you can trust them. All right. Um, but they're not there yet either. And so, uh, for the moment, uh, this industry is still flailing a little bit and we're kind of in the early days of craft beer where, I mean, we're, you don't thank the gods. You don't see this 
as much as you as much as you used to, except for the odd slushy beer that explodes. But I mean, there was a time <laughs> when uh, 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 refermentation in bottles was a bigger problem than it is now. Um, so uh, yeah, ho- hopefully, I mean, what, what we're seeing is just uh, uh, it, what we're seeing is just uh, the uh, the the uh, early problems of us. What essentially is a new industry. And doesn't grow into something bigger because this was, there's also the fact that when you're talking about non-alcoholic products, the, the margin for fuck up is a little bit more, shall we say sensitive. Yeah. So, uh, uh, keep an eye on, we'll keep an eye on that as, uh, that develops. Damn. Well, good luck to anyone trying to break into the NA game and, uh, (laughs) Um, and also, it's already it, listen. It's already saturated. Uh, move on to seltzers are already been done. You know, uh, hard kombucha. That's not that's not completely saturated yet. Oh, but it don't taste good. <laughs> Just Sierra Nevada's doesn't. <laughs> there are uh, there are hard kombuchas that do taste good. For hard I don't kombucha. like regular com- I don't like regular kombucha. So. I grew I grew to like them. Uh, what with um, um, the Boise Fermentation Company making them um, uh, in my backyard back in the day. Shout out to Joe. He's actually he actually makes decent kombucha, or at least uh, a, a drink that was uh, uh, good enough that when I was hungover as fuck, I'm like I'm gonna take a little bit of this. <laughs> All right. Yeah, the smell of kombucha is usually what gets me. <laughs> uh, Tyler, what's the, what do you got next? Well, USA Today uh, released their 10 best new breweries across the country uh, just recently. And as I was reading through it, uh, the big thing that kind of stood out, I mean, if you think back five years ago, I mean, craft beer was very much your West Coast, Northwest, Northeast, and Denver, Colorado uh, and outside of that, it was really not super prevalent everywhere with, like, great new beer. It was your kind of hubs on the coastal areas and in major metropolitan areas. Except for your, like, uh, weird random places. Like, I mean, even then, I think Prairie and Curbs, Oklahoma, was mm-hmm. an odd, like, bright spot. And... I think even like, oh, I mean, was Topland Goliath out in uh, out in Iowa a thing there yet? Uh, I can't remember when Topland Goliath you started. Had, but. I, I guess my point is he had these weird, like, random bright spots in the middle of no man's land. But I get your point. So I'm going to run through the 10 best beers. Uh, <laughs> let me know if, if you've actually had any of these jeremy okay uh steeplejack brewing company out of portland oregon nope no surprise seeing a brewery in portland making this list uh it is kind of cool it's in a restored 1900s church so which the pictures it looks sweet uh, in there. I was in a you brewery. can say you're going to church. I was in a brewery in uh in in <coughs> in uh Saint Paul, I think, uh that was built inside a church and there is something very satisfying about getting uh 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 shit faced in a church. Nice. 
for a heathen uh, next, like me. <laughs> uh, number nine is the Pretentious Beer Company out of Knoxville, Tennessee. Can't say I've had them, but I appreciate their name. Yeah, uh, they also are an offshoot of the Pretentious Glass Company, a glass blowing facility there in Knoxville. Um, <laughs> but Knoxville kind of caught me off guard. Um, well, how is it? How, how? My question is: How has it taken this long for somebody to scoop up the name Pretentious Beer Company? I feel like that should know. have got that should have gone like early 2016 2017. Yep. Uh number 8 is Oak Park Brewing in Sacramento. Yep, nope. Uh, number 7, Cohesion Brewing in Denver, Colorado. That I feel like someone's brought me, but it but I'd I'd have a uh uh but um I couldn't tell you what that what I've had or why or how or for how many jelly beans. Uh, they are delicious. I had them in Denver. They just recently opened in 2021. Um, they do all Czech style lagers with all side pole faucets. Uh, their whole menu is broken down into cohesion. Uh, Maybe it's just because you you're talking about them. That's why the name yep. sounds familiar. Uh, and it's cohesion eight degrees Play-Doh. Cohesion ten degrees Play-Doh. Basically telling you what the alcohol content was on those from their say, initial Play-Doh reading. I was say, but only if you understand what the fuck Play-Doh means. Eh, Google it. You'll be fine. You got a fucking phone on you. Uh, but it was a super cool venue. Uh, the one knock I had on that brewery while being there um, is the bathroom is because it's in kind of this industrial park. You walk down this fucking long hallway. Like, if you were battling a case of diarrhea, I don't think you would make it. Uh, <laughs> it uh, is a jaw, especially when you're like three loggers deep. And you're like, I got to piss like a pregnant woman. Uh, fuck, this bathroom's far. <laughs> and then it looks like a like middle school prison bathroom, but... The brewery in there is fucking sweet. The beers are fantastic. Uh, so I completely agree <laughs> with Cohesion being on this list. I, I just like I just like the idea that while you're jogging down this down this hallway, you know, desperate for a piss, you're sitting there going, "Man, if I had some taco beer shits right now, it would have been over for me. I'd have loaded my diaper right here, right now, and would have had to go back. Shameful. I would have." Painted a fucking line to the bathroom. Uh, <laughs> this has been It's All Beer. I'm done. <laughs> uh, Little Cottage Brewing in Avondale Estates, Georgia. Obviously, we've all been there, yeah. Where the fuck is that even at? I have no fucking idea. <laughs> uh, Inner Voice Brewing in Decatur, Georgia. Okay. Which it was c- kind of nice seeing. I mean, this is what the third brewery in the southeast like i mean sounds south- like the southeast is starting to catch up yeah i mean it, it it was a dearth of craft beer when i was traveling all the time back in the early 2000s uh, uh, 2010 so uh, it's yeah it, it, if there's a place ripe to catch up it would be the southeast yep um attic brewing uh out of philadelphia pennsylvania comes in at number four okay 
Uh, Human Robot Brewing in Philadelphia comes in at number three. A couple of Philly breweries. Uh, Good. Yep. And then number two is Swedesboro Brewing Company in Swedesboro, New Jersey. Obviously, we've all been to Swedesboro. Who has? Who among us hasn't made the pilgrimage to Swedesboro? Yep. Uh, so in the because each uh, like brewery has a little like blurb about it, and it goes: visitors to the brewery are often given the opportunity to brew the to tour the brewing facilities and learn about the craft brewing process that they employ. Along the way, they'll be introduced or reminded of Swedesboro's rich history. <laughs> Where a man named uh, Jacob Swedesboro, uh, or Jacob Swede <laughs> said, I shall create a borough here. And he did. Yeah, I'm like... End of story. R- r- rich history, huh? Never even heard of that fucking place. Did he, did, he, did he slaughter a lot of Indians to get the land? No, actually, he actually he paid them a fair price, and uh, uh, and uh, it was it was a very amicable um, um, exchange. He paid them in blankets uh, that were in no way laced with uh, with with smallpox. <laughs> uh, and number one is Fun Guys Brewing in Raleigh, North Carolina. A lot of East Coast. Yep. So no, I have had none, uh, of, none of these on the list, but it doesn't really surprise me as you know none of them are anywhere near me except for the one in Portland and uh, uh, and Sacramento and Denver. Uh, Portland's close. Would you like? Would you like to guess what Fun Guys' like fan favorite beer is? I mean. I mean, you're, I'm, I'm tempted to say some sort of bizarre mushroom IPA, given their name, but uh, I'm going to say a hazy IPA. I have no idea. No, I was hoping for a mushroom beer. A heavily fruited smoothie-style sour, sour known as a smooth sickle. Gross. Yep. Gross. I don't. I. I, I don't. I don't like it. I do not want. It. I do not approve. I do not approve of you, sir. I will not drink a smoothie sour. On a train, I will not drink one on a plane. I will not drink one, Jeremy. <laughs> and that's where your rhyme broke down because you cannot fit Jeremy into uh, Dr. Seuss. I have tried. <laughs> uh, well, Jeremy, what do we got next? Oh, uh, let's go back to 2015 news now. Um, we talk a lot about the heady uh, uh, height of uh, craft beer on this podcast, those halcyon days when breweries were being sold for a billion dollars a piece and gold was literally flowing out of the beer tanks like diacetyl. Um, Listen, those days were not as good as everyone thinks, but I digress. Beer quality was not the greatest, but it was spotty, but we'll get into that. Uh, If you miss those days, um, apparently all you need is a time machine in the form of a plane that will transport you to northern Italy, where the craft beer scene, lagging a good decade behind ours, is still in its most optimistic swing. Uh, this comes so go from... over there, introduce the hazy IPA and the smoothie sour, and you will be a billionaire. <laughs> uh, this comes from Vine Pear by Dave Infante. Uh, he got to travel to northern Italy, where he spent most of his time admittedly drinking wine, because... That's what you do there. Listen, if you go to Belgium and order an IPA, you are an asshole. All right? 
Same idea here. They produce more wine than anywhere else in the world, so shut up, shut your barley hole, and drink for the vine for the love of God. Um, however, he did manage to stumble upon a couple of craft beer bars. Not breweries per se, but old-style taproom, the likes of which that are becoming increasingly rare as several articles, most notably one in the New York Times, um, that came out earlier this year where, you know, it, it was a New York times article that basically declared the tap room dead. Um, uh, but, and they were not wrong that the, the, the beer bar in the United States is, is a dying idea. Um, but in apparently in Italy, it's in full uh, bloom. So we sat down with the proprietors of a couple of these establishments and asked some questions about the craft beer landscape from where they sat, and this is what he found out. Um, first of all, you'll be happy to know, hard seltzer, not a thing. Not a thing. Woohoo! Uh, uh, Moving to Italy, baby. Filippo <laughs> uh, uh, Grovaglia, uh, yeah. owner of uh, uh, Bira, Bera Buena Bira. I'm sorry I butchered that so hard. Uh, so he tried to introduce a hard seltzer there, and it was a dismal, spectacular failure. Um, and actually, ciders, meads, also not a thing. In fact, uh, Ricardo Orlandi, uh, owner of the Santa Maria Craft Beer Pub, uh, says that, said that he tries to keep a cider on draft, uh, but he might be the only place in Verona that actually serves a cider consistently. So Really? Uh, so there are but two things to to uh, to drink in uh, Italy. There's wine, and if you don't like wine, there's other wine. And if you don't like that wine, well, there's some beer, but also drink the wine. Or spirits. There's some spirits, but also drink the wine. Um, <laughs> uh, now, when it comes to styles, so we've, uh, we've we talked a little bit about this, uh, uh, just a little bit. Um, IPA is making some headway there, traditional, but traditional styles, especially German, um, uh, traditional German styles are still what people tend to order unless they are uh, especially adventurous in nature. Like uh, the your, 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 your person that's kind of walking in, bleary-eyed to this establishment going, I don't know, what do you have that's like a German hell is? Um, <laughs> is what you'll pro most likely hear. Um, uh, the Northeast IPAs have come through, but they have not found an audience, partially because the idea of like well, a Northeast IPA just makes them blink a, go a couple times go, Northeast of what? Which, <laughs> fair enough. Uh, Garavagilia said uh, uh, something along the lines of, quote, it's all been done. History has been mined for all its good beer. We've used all the adjuncts, barrel aging, and now all we can do is make what we got better. Um, which is a level of cynicism and uh, uh, and jadedness that I hitherto have not uh, uh, acquired in craft beer. But uh... fuck, we need to have this person on the podcast, <laughs> right? <laughs> um, and also, from my perspective, I think that's drastically underestimating the creativity of humans in general. I mean, who the fuck would have predicted the hazy IPA 10 years ago? I feel like you could have said the stain statement 10 years ago and you, it would have been equally as valid. And then the idea of a hazy IPA um, would like, well, we'll make a hype, an IPA, but we're going to load it down with proteins and shit. So that's like really thick uh, and really sweet. Well, that's stupid. Why'd you do that? People will like it. On uh, micro, 
on micro versus they do like it. It's fucking bizarre on micro versus macro. Um, the thought seems to be uh, from their perspective if, is that if there was anything uh, beyond the hype of craft of the craft beer revolution versus big beer, um, uh, it was mostly hype. Um, there are some recognized advantages Orlandi, uh, uh, does see, especially he said he, uh, does a lot of events with craft brewers or craft breweries, uh, and has done events with Brewdog and McKellar and other large breweries. Uh, some of them not run by guys with, let's say some serious ethical lapses. Sometimes I was going to say, I mean, sometimes that on list, I was like, oh, like, <laughs> but you're also, but you think about, but those are the two biggest in, in Europe. Those are the two biggest craft beer brands. They are the, yeah. they are the equivalent of like uh Sam Adams and, uh, and new Belgium here in this country. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, you know, because, uh, uh, because of some rooftop shenanigans, I'm not sure you can really fault them for that. Uh, but, um, uh, besides those failings, uh, he, he just felt as, as he put it, that he was, uh, quote, out of his depth. And he talked about how you get a better connection, um, you know, when you can work with small local craft. And as uh, Gara Vagila points out, um, his view is that it's an age-old problem. With success comes the urge to sell out. And when you're trying to make a craft product on the industrial scale, uh, you sort of lost the point. Um, you know, if you're, you know, the, the, the whole point of uh, a craft beer is, is small and handcrafted. You can't produce that on a large scale. Um, and when they're, and when they talking about like, uh, uh, where their local beer scene is, is going, you weirdly run into the same themes that you find in this country today. Uh, Gara Vagila, uh, points out that, uh, uh, you had a few that started out early, uh, they grew to dominate, uh, and uh, in the market, they're ubiquitous, and they've got a following, and it's really hard for new breweries to go out there and make a name for themselves. And both men hmm. stress that um, the liquid has got to be great, um, which, you know, obviously. But if what's in, uh, but on top of that, you need to have something uh, anymore because you just can't make a great beer and move forward from there. You got to have marketing, art, a good story, a dancing panda bear, the lactates milk stout. I don't know. You got to have an edge in that market. Uh, and, oh. <laughs> that was I'm my, just imagining a fucking revision can with a dancing panda bear that's like holographic label. So it looks like it's dancing, lactating out milk stout. Revision, if you make that label, I want ten percent. I'm just saying that. I'm 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 copywriting this that, that idea right now. Or anybody. I get the I get like ten percent of that idea. Anyway. <laughs> or, or just send them a, a case of that beer. I would so I, I, I will settle for a case of that beer. provided it's a good beer. Um uh, and actually, beer in Italy is running into the same supply chain issues that we're running into in this country. Raw materials are getting very expensive um, and thus pushing the price of beer and especially craft beer up through the roof. But this is in a country where wine is extremely cheap, like devastatingly cheap, like you're tripping over the stuff cheap. So <laughs> craft beer has an added hurdle because, listen, when it comes to the basics of the boozy booze, which is, listen, it's been a hard day. I want to drink something that makes the pain go away. 
Well, a lot of things do that. Wine, spirits. Um, if if you're go- if someone's going to go to craft beer, it's got to have something special attached to it. Um, and uh, uh, and and Orlandi, which again, he may be even more uh, uh, cynical than I am. Um, uh, he said uh, uh, basically that we're at a point where. We're we're gonna have just to figure out how to try to make a, a, a we're gonna have to try to ferment nails down. So uh, 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 we'll try to try, try to make a nail. Beer. I don't know why he picked nails. Very metallic, but you know what? If you find a way to take, to take uh, uh, nails and make them taste in a beer, fuck it, I'll give it a go. I'm like, damn, dude. Like, I'm on for being a little cynical, but fuck. <laughs> I mean, that's basically our podcast is is being a little cynical, but. Like jump straight to nails, like <laughs> you're you're c- careful, careful there. You're sounding a bit French, actually. Like life is meaningless. You might as well make beer out of nails. I'm giving the cigarette to a baby. <laughs> I'm like at least ferment milk first. <laughs> Jeremy, what else you got? Uh, just one little uh, thing because uh, I am a I am a sucker for uh, uh, for all these lists. You know, the highest rated beer, IPA, oh. something in, in every state. And the reason I'm uh, I'm uh, I, I I'm attracted to these lists is because like, I swear most... half these people have never even like they couldn't find Idaho on a map because they always pick a terrible beer for Idaho. But that's the thing, because I mean, not because I, it, I, uh, uh, I, I think I look for it because I'm like, I'm like, I'm interested because, you know, like everybody is, what's the biggest beer in my state? That's the clickbait. But in Idaho, it's always weird because there's no really dominant brand. There's a couple of big ones. The and last by the way, time I saw one that was like decent, they, I, I've seen two that were decent. One had something from Grand Teton, and I was like, okay, that's yeah, a solid yeah. beer. Like, okay, I get that. And then the other had uh, Mother Earth's, like, hazy clouds from their Project X line. Exactly. And I was like, oh, okay. I mean, the, one of those, um, or fucking Dagger Falls. There was a time that uh, uh, Sockeye Brewing's Dagger Falls was among the top-selling IPAs in the country, mm-hmm. and it wasn't being sold out of Idaho. Yeah. And so I'm 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 har- I'm having a hard time figuring out how that isn't the quintessential Idaho IPA. But what one was uh, uh, the Infidel from Selkirk Abbey, um, which is are a, they still even a brewery anymore? I they I I I think they absolutely are. The th- weird thing is is that if you're not familiar, Selkirk Abbey is as the name suggests not known for their IPAs. They are they they make almost they make uh, uh Belgian beers almost exclusively. In fact, I think the Infidel was always just a a, a a capitulation to the hopheads, the you know, people going, well, what IPAs do you have? Fucking hell, we made an IPA. Good God, do you? Does, yeah. Not everything needs to be an IPA. You goddamn haze, bro. Um, Shut up and give <laughs> us your money. But the fact that the, I, it was such a random pick on this list, I would love. And by the way, uh, um, the the uh, I should probably state that. 
um, where they got the top picks for this list. Um, and that's always like the X factor is where the hell did you get those? Sometimes they just like regurgitate um, a, a, a previous things, a previous article's data. Uh, that's where you still get crooked fence popping up a few years yeah. after they've been dead. <laughs> but this particular one, uh, Vine Pair consulted Beer Advocate's top-rated beers and selected the top IPAs with over 100 votes. Why Selkirk Abbey's Infidel IPA of all of the ones in Idaho meets that criteria, I do not... I do not understand. It, it's it's the it is... only thing I can guess is because I feel most of the beer advocate people are down here in the valley or come through the valley that it had the least amount of votes being up in Post Falls. So so you, so so it didn't. So it... you have people on vacation; they think more fondly of it. They rate it a little higher than they would down here in the valley and you don't have people like me like logging on to beer advocate going dagger falls tastes like what would happen if you took a pure pine it took pure sawdust uh fermented it with a pine tar and then shoved it through a uh, and, and and then fermented it with nails like some guy in italy told you to man you hate dagger <laughs> uh, it's mostly just to irritate nate um oh fair enough <laughs> uh, but a few. Uh, he does too. <laughs> but uh, uh, but, but uh, apart from just uh, uh, pontificating on how the fuck, and not a, nothing against. I actually kind of like Selkirk just for uh, because they are like the random like we just do uh, Belgian beers, uh, and uh, I haven't had them for a while because they stopped distributing down here. But I but I rather liked them when they were in the area. Um, so that's not a, I, I'm, I don't want to make it sound like I'm dissing on, uh, on Selkirk. I am absolutely dissing on Dagger Falls. Um, <laughs> a, a few other, uh, uh, anomalies, um, uh, Montana, the tumbleweed from Lewis and Clark, uh, a, a friend of the podcast cause they gave us beer last week. Um, which that's all you have to do to be a friend of the podcast is just give us fucking beer. Uh, yep. but, but again, I'm like. A, a brewery not known for their IPAs. Uh, uh, I've I've had a couple. They're okay, but um, here's one I deeply appreciated. The, by, by the way, uh, the, also the uh, uh, Selkirk Abbey is the only Belgian IPA on the list because that's not a style anymore because everybody got over the idea of trying to differentiate their IPAs by pitching Belgian yeast. Thank God. Um <laughs> But there's only one black IP on the list. Can you, can you guess what it is? You do know it. I do know it. You know it. You've had it. Is it still currently in? It's production? still currently available. I don't know. It's the Doobie from Uinta, and that's you. And that's Utah's uh, top. Oh pick. shit! I forgot about that. I was like Wookie Jack. Uh... I mean, but you're thinking about like, but you're thinking about California and a, Mountain Standard. But you're thinking, well, that's not production anymore. California, of course, is Pliny mm -hmm. the Elder or Pliny the Younger, excuse me. Um, but which uh, I can get behind that. <laughs> uh, we had it here on this podcast, and I can say without uh, 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 that that one's a damn good beer. 
Um, and but basically, it's just a it's it's from there. It's a it, it's it's a list of uh, of uh, 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 the biggest IPAs and uh, a lot of uh, uh, a lot of hazy shit. But um, um, oh, there was one other one here. I wanted to. It was uh, Nebraska's actually, um, the Hop Anomaly Reserve Series, aged in French oak Chardonnay barrels. Listen. <laughs> They have just and you straight, were shit talking Nebraska. They have just a straight up IPA. It's something. It's something. It's so weird to me that a, a, I mean, and this is this is totally Nebraska brewing. I mean, if you if you're not familiar with what they do at all, I mean, they take they they take a beer and they will barrel age with Chardonnay and hops and spices and to the nth degree, and it will all be weird and wonderful. Um, I do appreciate that, you know. You know, uh, uh, you know, hazy, 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 um, and then hop anomaly, ancient French oak Chardonnay barrels. <laughs> At ten- oh fuck! So, uh, uh, but the rest of them, um, boring as fuck. So I guess uh, good job, uh, Nebraska, uh, Montana, and Idaho, and Utah for the black idea. Ironically, yeah. <laughs> Tyler, do you have anything else for us today? Nope. <laughs> what? It's a white ass state. We, you know it. I know it. We don't have to hide it. This has been. It's all beer. You can, if you are, if you live in Utah, and you're the one of the five black people there, uh, give, you can you can uh, uh, send us an email. Uh, uh, it's all beer at uh, gmail uh, We're on Twitter at it's all beer one. Um, I post I, I post some stuff on Instagram and some fun stuff on uh, on Facebook. You can find us at It's All Beer, um, along with uh, uh, updates as far as our new uh, new releases and all that stuff. And as always, uh, if you like what you've been hearing, um, which I can't imagine you have so far, since started with a, a very long, very pedantic discussion about style guidelines. Um, we could probably just call this podcast itself Style Guidelines from here on out. I mean, we I think we lost everybody <laughs> within, like, the first five minutes. So I, you could say the most offensive thing you've ever said in your life uh, right now, and no one would hear it. Tyler, go ahead. No. <laughs> and that'll be quite enough for us. I'm Not falling Joe. for that one again. <laughs> Just you can see his Northern Idaho jeans just the twiddle like we got some stuff to say. Shut up. <laughs> and that'll be quite enough for us. I'm Jeremy Jones. I'm Tyler Zimmerman. I'm gonna have a beer. Have fun.